0: Host, Jared Bowman, and this is the podcast for people who want to know more about the Bible and how to live their life in God's Word. Tonight, I'm joined by my friend and fellow evangelist, Ryan Haynes, and we'll be talking about the greatest commandments and how to apply those imperatives of love in our daily walk with Jesus. Are you ready? Because your journey begins now. Welcome to the first episode of our brand new podcast, A Journey Into the Word. It's good to be with you. We've been looking forward to this for a long time, something that I've been working on for months to try to bring into the world. And and wouldn't you know it that at the last minute, something happens and we have to completely uh, sort of reinvent the wheel. That uh, Brian Haynes was going to be my guest on the second episode of this program, kind of step up a couple of weeks. And today we're going to be talking about the greatest commandments. Now, when I think about the greatest commandments, you know that <laughs> that song that we sing goes through goes through my head the 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 interweaving parts of love one another for love is love is from God, and he who does not love does not know God, and and all of the these thoughts that really resolve into one. One core thought, that everything that God has spoken to us really comes from a place of love. He wants us to love him, but then there are expectations associated with that as well, that that if we're going to love him, then there are certain expectations that are that are part of that love. So when we call these the greatest commandments, there's a couple of passages that we tend to go to where this is, this is really established. And they're all discussions that Jesus was having with various people. Matthew 22 is one of those. Um, Mark chapter 12 is one of those. Luke chapter 10 is one of those places. Now, when we were kind of batting this around on the couch a few minutes ago and walking through this, we we decided that Mark's account was the one we wanted to go to. So Mark, uh, Brian, why don't you turn over to Mark chapter 12 and sort yeah. of set the stage for us if
1: you would. Yeah. So Mark chapter 12, of course, is whenever Jesus is uh, in his confrontational mode with those that are in Jerusalem. And he's been batting uh, with the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and he's been bringing out some really great answers. And one of the things that I really enjoy about the uh, the way that it's approached in Mark chapter 12 is whenever they're talking about these things, one of the scribes uh, that's been listening to Jesus realizes Jesus has been giving him some great answers. So I'll go ahead and read it. Go ahead. Verse 28, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered him well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribes said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions.
0: That, that thought that, that's tied in there, this is worth more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. You, know, you, you sort of think about, you know, Micah chapter 6 where where the question is asked, you know, what does the Lord expect of you? Does he want, you know, 10,000 rivers of oil? Does he want, we're going to go to this passage later, but does he want the even my own child? And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk humbly with me. I want you to do, do good, love righteousness and walk humbly with me or do justice and walk humbly with me. That that's worth god that's worth more to god than than everything else we do and that's not that's not despising the other things that we do but it's it's really expressing kind of the essence of doing those things without this love of god without this love of god and the love of god's people makes those other things worthless because you know as as he just said you know on this hangs the law and the prophets and Jesus you know reiterates that in Matthew 22 now as as we were talking about this, we were also talking about how this is something that shows up in in Luke chapter ten as well. It's a different, different discussion, different time. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you when you look at at Luke's account, this is this is one of the um, this is one of those one of those dear passages that everybody loves, and I don't think we often recognize that this is the setup to this parable that we love so much. In verse 25, it says, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test. Now, he's, he's talking with his disciples. So this is a little like a shark in the kiddie pool here. That Jesus is talking to his disciples, and there's a lawyer in the middle of it. It says, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law, and how does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So so he he jumps on the first and the second here. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, a man was going down to Jerusalem, to Jericho and fell among the robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at at these two similar events, different events, but similar. Uh, and the comparison that we have there is is, you know, Jesus is not just making an argument from the law here. That what he's really doing is trying to show them the practical applications of this idea of loving God and and loving your neighbor and. And when you you think about that and you think about where else this shows up, you know, Matthew chapter seven, one of the Mm -hmm. right before the giving or right after the giving of the golden (laughs) rule that, you know, do unto others as you would have done to you. And Jesus even says there that on this is all the law and the prophets. Do you think when these guys came to him and they asked him, you know, what's the
1: greatest commandment? Is this what they were expecting? Great question. You know, it kind of reminds me too, that uh, as the man in, and Luke's account came to Jesus to ask him, it reminds me, it sounds a lot like the question that the rich young ruler asked Jesus too, Uh, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? In that instance, Jesus said, keep the commandments. And in that case, the, the commandments mentioned are things that were from the Ten Commandments, uh, mm-hmm. a few other commandments as well. I would imagine it might have been that people would have thought one of the Ten Commandments was one of the greatest, That's just a speculation, but that might have been the thing they thought. Um, certainly, we know that the the Pharisees love to keep certain particular commands and uh, certain things that they esteemed above other things. So, uh, you know, it, it might be the case they were looking for some kind of idea of you know, honoring God in some way too. So mm-hmm. um, it's an interesting question. What were they looking for? And, and um, you know, I think they were looking for something different than what he said. Yeah. And one of the reasons I like Mark's account so much is that the lawyer uh, realizes Jesus is answering this why uh, correctly. So somebody had a knowledge, at least of the idea of what is the basis of law.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that Jesus's justification of his answer when he says, on this, hang all the law and the prophets. That, that you know, all the law and the prophets basically boil down to these two expressions. Can we talk a little bit about that? What what did Jesus mean by saying, on this hangs all the law and the prophets?
1: You know, it is a, it's a great question. Um, you, first of all, you think of the idea of the terminology, the law and the prophets. Um, we had talked a little bit about how in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the law and the prophets and that nothing would pass until everything was fulfilled, that he hadn't come to, uh, to cast out the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Uh, sometimes that term law and the prophets gets used to kind of describe the totality of the Old Testament. In mm-hmm. other words, the the concept of the authority of the covenant. And I kind of like that idea because then I can see that when Jesus is describing here the, uh, the idea of the totality of the authority of the covenant of God, that would make more sense that it's founded on these two principles as opposed to more specific statements that are made in the law. Although I suspect you probably could in some way uh, follow a path in every command that you would find this to be the root of it. I think ultimately you can. Um, the two statements that he actually makes.
0: Let's actually take a look at them for a second. Um, the, the first one is is obviously you know Deuteronomy chapter six that. That's one that we're well familiar with. And and in Deuteronomy, Moses is giving that that final farewell address, that salute uh, to the people. This is what God expects from you. I'm not going to be leading you anymore that this is, you know, Joshua's taking over. And and if you want to please God and you want to live, this is what you need to do. And it occurs to me that he starts this section of Deuteronomy six by talking about how good what God is going to give them actually is you know, it's this land flowing with milk and honey. It's everything that God promised. Um, it's everything you could ever want. So when we think of the law and the prophets, I think, you, I think it is a totality of the covenant. It's not just Jesus saying, Hey, this is everything God expects of you, that this is what your relationship with God hangs on. It's kind of the foundation for every part of the relationship that existed between God and that people. And when you look at at verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6, this is one of the first memory verses I can remember. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, and the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign on the hand and shall be as the frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God actually said, in a way, I guess, Back on Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, when it says, then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. That's the sovereignty of God that he was talking about. The Lord, our God is one and you shall have no other gods before me. I mean, that's the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water or under the earth. And you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children, unto the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And you could probably add remember the Sabbath day to that and, and remember the holiness of the Sabbath day to be something that was a reflection on how they felt about god but those first three commandments when he says he says you know that you shall have no other gods before me before he ever tells them you know you don't make any itty carved idols he says look don't bring another god in my sight that, that i'm god that's not god the calf is not god these other things that you're going to see the people in the land worshiping are not god I am God. In order to have those blessings that Moses was talking about in Deuteronomy 6, they had to go back and understand this was really the failing of their fathers not going in the land is they didn't have this love and this trust and this respect for God. What about that second commandment? Now
1: that comes from Leviticus 19. You want to walk us through that one? Yeah, let's go over there right now. So uh, kind of an interesting thing is God is talking here in Leviticus 19. He's describing the idea of how it is that God is uh, uh, there to honor one another. Some neat things that are said here. Verse 33 of Leviticus 19 says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the idea of the stranger sojourning there and the the
0: connection of, of, of just remembering re- remembering. I mean, even in that loving of the neighbor and the loving of the stranger there, there was this this remembrance that it was God who had brought them out of Egypt, that they were once slaves, that they were once strangers. Um, I was also thinking about how that how that gets deepened a little bit as you go through that uh, when it says, you know, you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him in verse 13 of of Leviticus 19. Mm -hmm. Uh, The wages of a hired man are not are not to remain with you all night until morning you shall not curse a deaf man nor place a stumbling block before the blind but you shall revere your god i am the lord so part of loving your neighbor was recognizing that that this is what you owe god mm-hmm. Um, and you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly, and you shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not act against the life of your neighbor. So we, we talked about loving the stranger a second ago. Now he's making that same application. It says you shall not act against the life of your neighbor for I am the Lord, and you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart, but you may surely reprove your neighbor, but you shall not incur sin because of him, and you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself for I am the Lord. So I mean this is really something that he's serious about. He's talked about it now in 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 very, very even granular applications like, you know, love the deaf man. Don't 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 make fun of him behind his back. You know, love the poor man. Don't don't keep his wages from him. And he says, look, you can't love. He essentially just said what, he, what we're going to talk about in a minute, and that's over in First John four. You can't love your neighbor, or you can't love God, until you learn to love your brethren, and, and as you mentioned, love the stranger too, mm. and
1: and show that affection toward them. Now, we take. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say. You know, one of the things about that term stranger is interesting because stranger, uh, in in these archaic languages, has more also the implication. The word is often the same word as enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often think of when Jesus is speaking in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about, you have heard it said to, you know, to love, uh, to love your friend, but to hate your enemy. Mm-hmm. And what's ironic is that there is no statement to hate your enemy, right. you know, that to love the stranger, to love the sojourner, to love the person that's not, not your friend is actually a very strong part of the old law. And yet when Jesus says, you've heard it said, mm-hmm. it indicates that a lot of people didn't see that. And I think that's an important idea. You know, in that same passage, he ties that loving of
0: the stranger to the love of God. In Matthew 5 and 48, he he expresses this idea of you you need to be perfect. Look at how God loves people. He sends a rain on the just and the unjust, that he loves those who do not love him. And then he says, "You go be perfect, like your heavenly Father is perfect." And yeah. then we sort of have this digression where we go into the hypocrisy that he's warning against. And there's a little bit of, of "Love thy neighbor" in in the the forgiving, uh, "Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who are indebted to us." Right. And right. a little bit of "Love thy neighbor." I wouldn't overemphasize that, but I think "Love thy neighbor" is definitely there. But then, as we mentioned before, it comes up in it comes up in seven and seven, and it where it says, "Ask, and it will be given unto you." that seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be open. again that that's how god loves us you ask you seek you knock you're going to find god's going to give it to you or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will he give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he not he will not give him a snake will he if you then being evil Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask of him? And everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, he's not teaching us there about being good fathers. Mm -hmm. He's saying, look, this is natural. You know, Will comes in and says, Dad, I want some milk. I'm not going to go to the garage and get a a, a cup full of turpentine and let him drink part of it and say, ha ha. I mean, it's just basic father 101. You don't do that kind of thing. But he says, look, God loves you that way as children, but also God loves the enemies that way. God loves the stranger that way. So here's how you reciprocate the love of God is, is you, you treat others the way that you would want to be treated.
1: And what comes out of that is this discussion of the broad and the narrow way. Right. Yeah, that's a great. You know, it really is. Uh, it really is uh, important to understand this idea of what is it that we want the most for ourselves. And this is important because. This kind of speaks back to an idea that we're going to talk about in a moment. when We talk about the idea of what is love. And, you know, we live in a world today where lots of people don't define love or they define love as an emotion. You'll hear people define love as acceptance. Uh, and yet the Bible is telling us love is to desire the best things. So it makes sense then that the next statement is desire to enter by, the, by that narrow way because mm-hmm. that's the only way to life. And that's what you should want. That's love.
0: All right. Sorry, we had an airplane go over just there. So I'm going to let Brian pick
1: up with that statement on love. Go ahead and finish that out. Please. Yeah. So as we were saying, you know, the, the idea that Jesus is d- directing us to here in verse 12 of, of chapter 7 is that uh, that love, we have to define it by the biblical idea, which isn't to say it's uh, acceptance or an emotion, a feeling that we have. Instead, it's the desire for the best or it's the desire for what is best for someone else so what is the natural way of love well to desire to enter by the narrow gate so that's where he goes with this
0: you know i I feel bad about you saying that we should desire what's best and i'm i'm sitting over here drinking coffee out of my new a journey into the word mug and yours has not come in yet because you weren't supposed to be here for a couple weeks but but i did not leave brian coffeeless. he actually finished his cup of coffee in an official biblically speaking mug so uh so and he can have some more too but but that idea of desiring desire, I just had to segue into that. Yeah, okay. I love these things. But this idea of desiring what's best and making that an element of walking the narrow way—that when Jesus is talking about the narrow way, he says he says it's straight. Is straight as the way and and narrow or narrow is the way and straight is the gate, uh, and few there are who find it. That idea of straight is not straight like an arrow. It's straight like strict. It, it's saying observe how God has has. If you take that back to the previous commandment, observe how God loves you in that comparison of seeking and knocking and asking, and then go apply that to your neighbor. Mm-hmm. All right. Had to take a little break there for some for some technical difficulties on a whole other project that I'm working on. But, you know, <laughs> preachers and technology. Right. Woo-hoo. And, you know, this is the entire. Well, not Jared Currents. But I was going to say this is the entire, you know, Preaching brain trust in a 15 mile area. Well, 15 mile area. I live uh, just a, a block away. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he probably literally walked here. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> just like that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it... Brian's frequent visitor at the house. It's, it's a good yeah. thing. It's a good thing he's good people. Anytime I smell brisket, I'm over. Well, so. <laughs> that is an Ed McMahon joke. Brian. <laughs> yes. Br- sir. Brian said he was going to be Ed McMahon. I said, who? Yeah. <laughs> that hurt my feelings. See, I'm, I'm, I'm 44 years young. And while I do know who Ed McMahon is, I'd like to remind Brian he's, he's what? I'm just a few years older than you. I'm well, not. Can we really to... say that, that 15 years is a few? 15? You're, <laughs> oh, you're killing me. You're killing me. Oh,
1: my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So oh. from that
0: segue, let's talk about loving our neighbor. Yeah, huh? that's right. Uh,
1: we're talking about it.
0: <laughs> so, so the practical application. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to love your enemy. <laughs> uh, there you go. So, but uh, the, the practical applications of loving our neighbor, I was thinking about that. We were talking about the golden rule. We we're talking about how that, how that walking the narrow way goes back to the asking, seeking, knocking, and then imitate, imitating that. So that really sort of goes back to Luke 10 and the Good Samaritan. So what do we do with that? What are the practical applications of love? What does it look like when we say, I love my neighbor as
1: myself yeah you know it's kind of neat because when you look at that parable and that parable is is all about um how you how love is manifested it doesn't use the word love it wouldn't fit love again the way the world talks about love Mm -hmm. it wouldn't fit love in that context as an emotion or anything like that it's the idea that that one man looks upon another he has compassion he has mercy jesus uses Mm -hmm. the word mercy a couple of times um and that he sees need and he reaches out to help. Now, what's really neat about it is that it reflects. You know, we can even we can even talk about the way that God loves us. It reflects a love that can't be paid back, that maybe isn't even acknowledged, and it's certainly not expected. You're loving somebody and seeing to what is best for them, which is again one of the ideas we like to lay down about what love is in the Bible. It's 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 desiring that which is best, and and uh, you have this sense of a man who's a natural enemy. By mm-hmm. the way, you know, that Samaritan being a natural enemy, that he, this affection for him, he wants to see to what he needs. Um, you were talking earlier, and I'll just steal your thunder to say you had mentioned the idea that it wasn't just an immediate point, but that he was looking to his long-term sustenance or at least the uh his needs for the for the foreseeable future whenever he goes so far as to you know pay the man for you know the uh taking care of him for the mm-hmm. next few days which again it relates to the idea that it's demonstrating Or it's doing things without an expectation of repayment. And, you know, it's kind of an important idea in most of the relationships of being a Christian and husbands and wives. Uh, Why do husbands love their wife? Not because their wife has earned the affection or because they, uh, you know, somehow or other warrant it. But instead, the word of God is clear that we love our wives uh, as Christ loved the church because of our commitment to Christ or Mm -hmm. a wife submits to her husband, not because he's worthy of it. He's earned it in any way, but because Christ has earned it. And so we're giving somebody something that, as I said, they haven't earned, they don't deserve Mm -hmm. and they may never truly appreciate, but that's what this Samaritan is doing for this, uh, for this man that he finds. And, and so the love your neighbor as yourself is this concept of, you know, you're going to commit to somebody's need without a sense of a desire for a response for that. That was a great point
0: I made, by the way. <laughs>
1: yeah. But you know, so I'm gonna steal one of yours
0: because I think the other the other side of this is before I can really understand what it is to love my neighbor, I need to really stop and understand how God loves me because in that totally stealing from you and and that goes from i mean that goes to the heart of what you just talked about in ephesians chapter five husbands love your wives and then think about how you love yourself you love your own body you nourish it you cherish it you don't hate it and so when when it says that jesus loves the church in that way that he he bought her he redeemed her he cleaned her she's now no spot and blemish gave her a new garment all these things that you What would you do for yourself? And that really gets to the heart of one of the big problems we have with defining love, because we tend to define love moment to moment. We think, you know, we see 10 other people pass somebody in the street and we realize, oh, I've got a five in my wallet. I open my wallet. I hand the guy the five and I think I love my neighbor. Hey, I love my neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Or or we'll, we'll sign the petition that we see online. Or I mean, not many people do petitions outside grocery stores anymore because everybody's afraid of coughing and sneezing. But, but that idea of, I love my neighbor, I got the activism in, yes, yes, I will absolutely sign that petition because it's important to you, I love my neighbor. That's not what the Samaritan did. He didn't start the, the good Samaritan neighborhood watch. He, he put the man on his animal. He took him all the way back to town that he took him to an inn, he paid for a room, he put his own oil on him, he treated him with his own bandages and his own medicine. I mean, he needed those in case he fell in the robbers. And then as he's leaving the next day, this guy's in no shape to travel. So he tells the innkeeper, look, this is going to cost you more than what I can give you right now. So I'm going to come back through. And I think that might even speak to the Samaritan's character a little bit, Mm -hmm. that the innkeeper was willing to do that. But I mean, this is a parable, so I mean we just have to assume. But the idea that I'm gonna come back through and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pay you everything that you're out because he's my obligation. Yeah. And I'm gonna have to fix that sun in post. Hmm. I look like I look like Moses coming down the mountain right now. Oh, oh you really you just gotta tilt yeah. your tilt your head
1: just a little bit. Oh if oh, I can oh, tell oh, him oh, like oh. that, I can blind us. <laughs> oh so. what? Get, the, get that off of Boy, well, you are you're yeah. a lot wider than I am. I tell you well, if I get up front, maybe I can. I'm awesome. sorry. Did you say whiter or yeah. whiter? Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's just kind of. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you are 15 years older. So. You oh, you're killing me. You're killing me. <laughs>
0: uh, he's
1: not. It, it's it's like 13 and a half. Oh, he's killing me again. It's like like probably like two years. You know, three years at the most. Really?
0: Yes. Well, I mean, I've I've got more gray hair than you do. You you do have more gray hair than me. Yeah, that's true. I um, mean, we could we could go we could we could compare beards here. But yeah, yeah, but, I think yours is grayer than mine. But.
1: Yeah.
0: Well yours is definitely better than mine. Yeah, I agree. But I agree. these these practical applications that, that we're given here of love.
1: Uh, well, let's it, step it, back for a second to something yeah. you said a moment okay. ago that I think is important. Um I, I think I've mentioned in the past that uh I've seen people take this passage and say this is the this is the mandate for our being active in social justice movements. And and you know, I, I actually think social justice there's a lot of social justice movements that are important, you know, the pro-life movement. There's one that I think is important. But mm-hmm. you said it, Rob, well when you said that this, here's the Samaritan, he's not, he's not loving his neighbor by, you said it, you know, going out and, and creating some kind of movement that protects people on the road or things like that. He's just seeing to that need at the moment. Um, You know Jesus would tell us elsewhere that you know we'd always have the poor with us. That's not Jesus saying don't do anything for him, but it's also Jesus saying don't expect that you're going to solve this situation. It's always going to be there, and you know I think that that's important because Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of us we we kind of sit there and say, well, what what is my obligation to the guy on the corner? You know, what am I supposed to be doing here? Or you know, do I help him personally versus do I you know go you know uh, protest on the street over some issue that i have and the good samaritan tells us no the good samaritan tells us that as we have the opportunity to do good a, a good Galatians 610 kind of concept there so so i think what you said there is important to understand that it's not a call to uh to fighting the injustice of robbery on the road it's mm-hmm. a call to fixing a man who's right in front of you
0: yeah we didn't get this uh, samaritan action committee going there they didn't see it happen but because I mean, he couldn't do anything about the next 30 robbers, right? He right. Or, or robbery victims, but he could help this guy all the right. way through. And, right. I, and I think one of the things that we have to also be careful with, and, and this comes out of the, the activism thing that you just mentioned, um, one of the things we have to be careful with is that we emphasize the physical aspect of loving our neighbor without tying that to the love of God. Because I mean, the, the real essence of loving our neighbor, and and I know you have several Bible studies going right now. I mean, we've we've been very blessed to have, have had several people interested in studying the Bible lately. We've had several people baptized in the last month or two months now, but that idea of sharing with the sharing the love of God with them mm. and, and and helping them see that that my love for for you transcends this moment to moment issue that we have over you know covid fears or social issues or things like that and
1: and what i'm really interested in is talking about something that's going to matter to you for all eternity now that's so important because when we talk about the idea of loving ourselves and you know we had mentioned uh, you know the the characteristic love your neighbor as yourself. The implication is you have to have a love for yourself. But the love for yourself is not a love that is an acceptance of yourself, mm-hmm. or a love that is a pleasuring of yourself to just make yourself happy. It's a desire to be on that narrow path. Yeah. So what's important there? And you know I I oftentimes I think I mentioned to you before that uh, that if somebody's looking to date or something like that, and the Word of God talks about a husband loves his wife as he loves himself, that that it's important for a successful relationship that we that we have the appropriate affection for ourselves in other words yep. that I want to be on the right path I, that I'm going to find people that are going to help me to be on the right path or that that's the affection I need to have for myself i need to I need to want to be saved. I need to want to take care of my salvation, to take care of my inheritance and reward. And that's the affection that I do need to have for myself. I do Mm -hmm. need to love myself enough to want to be saved. And then I can want others to be saved, too, that I, I can desire that others can know that gift. And that really is the most important thing. I mean, when people look, and again, I know we've kind of hit the social justice issue, but. If people could really appreciate what is the great issue, the great issue is sin. The great solution is Christ. Mm -hmm. That is the greatest and ironically, the one thing we are equipped to handle. You know, I'm not equipped to deal with poverty or to deal with, you know, racial injustice or all the different issues that are around us. I am equipped, though, thoroughly equipped. For the work of spreading the word of God. All of us are who are, who are in Christ. You know, we we are given the equipping, uh, 2nd Timothy 3, 16, 17, we're given a, a equipping for every good thing that's given to us. And that doesn't mean that we don't have compassion for those issues or for people, you know, you know, I think sometimes when something
0: gets broadcast on the national stage, we feel like we have to speak about it nationally. But right. but you know, I've known people that have had some had some struggles with with you know their skin color. They've had mm-hmm. struggles and and I want to I want to listen to them because that that's important that's important for me understanding who they are and for for them seeing that to me they're important but the more important a conversation is always going to be let let's talk about right. the eternal things and and I lo- I like what you said there about you know sometimes we mistake loving ourselves for giving ourselves everything we want and that I mean you can go and you know where I'm from Texas you know you're you know New Mexico that you 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 know what I'm talking about here there's a kind of ice cream called bluebell ice cream yeah, I've heard of it. I mean yeah. it, it, it has the it has the slogan the best ice cream in the country that I mean I could eat Bluebell from the morning from the minute I wake up in the morning the minute I go to sleep at night. Yeah. And and Bluebell pistachio. Yeah. Number one. Now peaches and cream or mint chocolate chip for me. Uh maybe even just straight up vanilla. Yeah. Yeah. But but the but while that would taste good that wouldn 't be an indication that I love myself right right exactly right, and that and that 's kind of kind of the thought that we have to get to is that loving ourselves doesn 't mean giving giving ourselves everything we want, and we understand that when it comes to our children, or at mm. least we used to I, th- I think that that even that lesson's about to be lost that mm. that we used to understand that when a child says they want something they can 't have everything they want because that 's not really love that doesn 't set them up for reality but Loving them means understanding their needs and meeting their needs and then helping them attain something that's worth more
1: than the thing that they really that they think that they want at that moment. Now, again, what you're saying is so great because it fits really nicely to the idea of how do I deal with people in the world? Um, You know, people in the world, they want certain things. And yet, you know, maybe it's not what's best for them, you Mm -hmm. know, but but. But again, you know, bringing back to that spiritual context, you know, the, the blessing of the word of God is what's best for them. You know, kind of reminds me in Acts chapter three when they're walking through the temple and the guy, you know, looks at them thinking he's going to give them an alm and Peter says, "Oh, well, I don't have that. What we have is this gift of God." You know, oh, yeah. and, and um, you know, it's it's kind of important for us to understand that, you know, in the world today, when people want things from us, a lot of times what they want isn't what's best. Um, we do know what's best for them, mm-hmm. and a lot of times that's exactly not what people want. Uh, you know, and I think the parable of good Samaritan really, really grabs that, too, because it gives you a sense of this is what he, uh, he this is what he needed. You know, yeah. he needed this this kind, compassionate care. Now, he, um, this this would have also been what he wanted at that moment. In.
0: Yeah, yeah. But he did discern the need. Right. And, and and I think that that's the first the first step in love is discerning the need, because that's how we imitate God's love. Uh, I told you about this before, but I, I have a sermon that I preach. I haven't preached it in a while because this language has kind of gone out of vogue. It's been replaced by what number are you? My wife tells me I'm a five. I still don't know what that means. But I reject all those things. Yeah.
1: <laughs> don't label me. Which I'm told, yeah, I'm <laughs> told is a sign of my number. <laughs>
0: Well, I used to have four letters.
1: It was yeah, like I don't remember. Yeah. And then I was told I
0: was a lion. I got no idea what this stuff means. Yeah, right, right. But but we used to talk about love languages. How do people give love? How do people receive love? And I actually wrote a sermon called God's Love Languages. And it's all the ways that God has shown his love toward us. And of course, John 3:16 is in there, Romans 5 is in there. Uh, you know, God gave us His Son. God, God gave us life. God, you know, you have you have gifts. You have acts of service as a love language. You've got you've got affection. You've got time that's given to us. You've got. I mean, God covers all of the bases when it comes to love languages because He meets every single one of our needs. That yeah. he, I mean, He designed our needs right. so He knows how to meet them. So. Let me ask you this. How do you how do you reciprocate that love? I mean, God knows how to love perfectly. He's shown us the perfect love in giving us his only begotten son. God so loved the world. You know, Romans five deepens that it says, look, while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies, it even says that when it restates it later in the chapter, Christ died for the ungodly. That how do you how do you repay that kind of love? We
1: talked about loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to love God that way? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um you know, I was kind of thinking actually, you know, when Jesus gives the new command and he says you're, you know, um, you know, you're going to love one another, mm-hmm. because of the love I'm giving you. But it really comes back to the idea that, that sometimes we find some great examples in the Bible. And I, mm-hmm. You know, I was talking off air about Josiah being one of my favorites. About oh, absolutely, a guy that uh, that manifested love for God. And um, in fact, the language that we use there in uh, what is that? Second Kings. Uh, I forgot the passage already. But uh, when we were talking about that earlier in Second Kings, um, Second say, Kings 23. 23, Yeah. So the only know it because we wrote it down on a. Note. That's right. But we like to say, hey, you know, virtual sticky note. Yeah. yeah. Nothing. But transparency on a journey into the word, there you go, there you go. I don't remember everything. Um, but uh, you know, the interesting thing there when it uses the language to talk about uh, talk about him, the kind of uh, the kind of man he was here at the end of the chapter, it says, uh, regarding, regarding Josiah, before him, there was not a king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his might. And what's neat about that is it sounds a lot like the language of love the Lord your God, all your soul, all your strength. Um, that here's a guy that was like him. And he committed himself to, to, uh, according to all the law of Moses. Now, what I think is really neat is you'll remember the story of Josiah. He's he's one of my favorites. Um, The story of Josiah is when he was, uh, I just forgot, he was eight years old, right? Whenever he first starts turning to the Lord at 16, he gives himself to the Lord. Um, And for the next 10 years, he's dedicated. He's tearing down idols. I mean, he's doing really incredible things. And then one day they're cleaning up the temple. I mean, he really does look to God Mm -hmm. and they're cleaning out the temple and they find the the law and, I think it's an incredible story that it's the high priest that's saying, hey, what's this book? You know, come on, guy, how, you know, how do you dude, know the- Dude, this, <laughs> this is your thing. Yeah this is, yeah, this is this is why you're the priest. You know? What <laughs> that's, is this? That's, uh, my, that's my buddy, Jeremy. He, yeah. he goes, this is your thing. You've got to be better
0: at this one thing. Yeah. This is yeah. your thing. You had one job. You had, right? got one job, literally. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah, it was. So, so he pulls out the law and they give it. Now here's the, yeah, here's the incredible thing is that when Josiah sees it, Josiah realizes- We've not been doing things right. Now, Josiah has dedicated himself to God, but the moment he realizes he's not been doing what God wanted him to do, it breaks his heart. And he goes to God. He goes through the prophetess uh, Huldah, and and uh, she's, she responds with God's message. And God says, because you had this tender heart. Now, I would say this. I would say tender heart equals because you loved me. Mm-hmm. So, How is Josiah's love manifested for God? He desperately wanted to do what God wanted. And when he found out he wasn't doing what God wanted, he turns and, and 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 is devastated to that sense. Well, that's the love of God. A person who desperately wants to do what pleases God, that his affection for God is such that his heart is tender and that his desire is to do whatever God wants him to do, that those are the things that reflect a genuine love for God. I want to please God, I desperately want to please God, and if I found out I wasn't pleasing God, it would break my heart. And God said He respected that, so I think that that's the characteristic of a person who loves God—that they're going to reflect that idea of, I desperately want to do what God wants me to do.
0: I was looking for that word to see if I could find it. Uh, I was thinking that was probably uh, probably a reference to. Uh, I was wondering if the tender there was a reference to Hesed or God's. Faithfulness. Let's see. Let's, let me double check that real quick. Let's see. Yeah, and while we're looking at
1: that, you know, it just uh it is interesting that uh, you know, in in Kings it talks about your heart was penitent, you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard I mm-hmm. how I spoke. So that you know, that language is uh in the book of Kings, the chronicler, as they're describing these things, um, you know, and he describes how uh Josiah is before God. Um that's where we have this terminology that describes the idea of the of the of the tender heart. The word tender heart here actually is not has said, but it's actually an interesting
0: word. I'm glad you brought it up because it means wholehearted softness. Oh, neat! yeah, Ooh, yeah that, that's neat. Yeah, that is. something. That's yeah. powerful. Wholehearted and, softness. I, I was guessing it probably had a kind of a has said, faithfulness element to it, but it really doesn't. It, it means wholehearted softness. So it is a love thing. Yeah, it, yeah. it is softening yeah. the whole heart. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you, you see this in, in David in the fifty first Psalm when he right. says, Against you only have I sinned. Now I mean there were a lot of ramifications to what David did, but but right. he's looking at this and says, Now, you know, God is the one who's really been injured here. Yeah. He's the one that I need to say, I'm sorry to. He's and you the you know is
1: Isn't that isn't that really it's sort of kind of cut you off? There, no, that's fine. really exciting. That's what what you said. Yeah. <laughs> uh it's really exciting what you said, because here is David looking at this and he is utterly regretful. That he's wrong, God. I think for a lot of us, I know I'm, I struggle with this. I sin, and I'm sinning against God. And my "Hey, I'm sorry" is kind of a almost a passing thing. I don't really sit there and think, you know, I, I just hurt God. You know, I've I've wounded my heavenly Father by my sins. You mm-hmm. know, and and if I had a better love for God, if mm-hmm. I could manifest that better, it would really strike me that when I sin, you know, I'm I'm hurting God. You know, that I'm, that I am striking out at a father who loves me. And, and, and I really feel like if we really understood that idea about the love of God, we'd probably sin less, you know, we'd probably be a lot more, uh, considerate of the fact. And when we repented, we'd probably repent a lot more, um,
0: well, and that not understanding that we're wounding god and and not understanding that 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 sin is a reflection of our love for God, the way that David did, the way that Josiah did, that that wholehearted softness that's that's talked about there, the lack of understanding in that is what. I think, complicates an instruction like John 14, 15, if you love me, we're talking about practical applications of loving God. Yeah. One of those has got to be, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And, and what do we do when, when we talk about commandment keeping? Well, we want to bandy back and forth about it. Well, you're talking about salvation by works. No, I'm not. I'm talking about the practical application of loving God is listening right. to him and obeying him because his love for me comes from this place of seeing my need, and he's given me a law and given me a commandment that, that helps meet that need right and and that that's a really big thought i'm gonna pause right here for this airplane to go this has been like an air show today it's just literally i mean that's probably been the fourth or fifth plane that's flown over since we've been doing this earlier in the ill-fated recording the first episode guys was going to be on job i mean i want this to be fun so i chose job as the first episode that jeremy and i recorded but zoom zoom you failed me i like to
1: think providence wanted me to be your first guest that's you know <laughs> well it didn't want you to have a coffee mug. <laughs> yeah, i guess not i guess not I, we'll say that i'm gonna put the you on the, i'm gonna put There's you on the, the romans vanity. 14 one and i'll get yeah. you a coffee mug by yeah, then so the that, that'll be
0: like the fifth episode probably yeah, yeah I gotcha. but but you know, i was thinking about that the you know loving god is not and therefore obedience is not transactional it's not you know, God did something good for me. So, uh, to get my salvation, I'm going to go ahead and and obey Him, and I'm going to earn it. Obedience is loving Him. Now, there's there's other things in Scripture that that we're told uh, are kind of tantamount to loving God. Well, First John two, that you can't love God and love the world, and 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 the love of the world is the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. That we talked about. First John four. Let's turn over to that one. And, and look at that one. And the love of the brethren has got to be there. That if yeah. we love God, what we're really talking about, going back to that love language analogy, is this is how we show love to God. This is God's love language. This is what He wants from us. He He wants our time. Mm-hmm. You know, He wa- He wants this. He wants this reverence. He He wants our obedience. He wants our acts of service. But He also wants that expression of love. Uh, toward his, and I don't know where this would fit in the love language. I probably have it written down somewhere in the sermon. I really should have referenced that beforehand. <laughs> but but you look at First John chapter 4 and verse 17, it says, By this love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So, okay, so so we're talking about repaying God's love. Mm-hmm. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So, you know, you were mentioning that, you know, and this might not be something we want to dwell too much on, but... But when we're talking about loving our neighbor, it's love our neighbor as ourselves. But when we're talking about loving our brethren, when you go back to John chapter 15, it's love one another as I have loved you. And in a way, it kind of is a new commandment because it's deepening that Leviticus 19 to where the stranger and the countrymen, the stranger and the neighbor were on the same footing in, in Leviticus 19. And now Jesus is saying. You need to be super attentive yeah. to loving the brethren. You, you love your neighbor as yourself. And this is not undermining the way that we should love others because, I mean, Hebrews 13 says show hospitality to strangers, which is the phileosinia. It's, it's the idea of, of loving those who are not like us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the love of the brethren needs to be something that we really
1: strive to excel in. I think that's why Jesus is saying it's a new commandment um, mm-hmm. in the sense that because one of the things he's trying to say is that the love of God has but revealed in a new way, by Jesus dying on the cross. That mm-hmm. wasn't something that had been known to the Old Testament. Now, one of the things I love to talk about is the idea that in the Old Testament, God uh, approached the covenant from the perspective of a friendship, you know, that I'm going to give you my name, you get to know that. But in the New Testament, he doesn't talk about the name, he talks about being the father. Mm-hmm. You know, the adoption by grace. So it makes sense that if this uh, Old Testament relationship that they had with each other was a, was a closeness of fellow citizens or workers, that this New Testament relationship is going to be a a family relationship and this uh this great closeness that the the newness of it is you know the concept of brethren it it really is new it's not Mm -hmm. you know the old testament i mean you had a little bit of it but you really didn't have this well it's almost like it's a shadow brian yeah that's right (laughs) almost like it was a you know uh, a antitype but uh i put a big
0: old a big old banner across the screen right here it says Hebrews allusion. Yeah. <laughs> Alluding
1: to Hebrews and <laughs> um, Everyone a, who okay. loves the father That's loves the $5 those, word. <laughs> everyone who loves the father loves those born of the father. That's right. Um, so so what we're what you're going back to, what we're both going back to, is the idea that fundamentally, how am I going to love God? I'm going to love the people of God. Yeah. And I mean, I'm really going to love them. I'm not going to just enjoy them. They mm-hmm. are enjoyable. I mean, the brethren are great people. On occasion, they're not. Why would you look at way? me when you yeah. said that? I don't know. Only because of the 15-year comments. Yeah, well, I mean, your eyesight but, is going to. So. Hey, <laughs> who said that? <laughs> uh, you know, but this idea of, you know, this great affection I'm going to have for my brethren. Um, you know, and this is something I think we all probably struggle with. Mm-hmm. It's going to be reflected. People should look in the world, and they should say, "Hey, Brian, the way you, uh, the way you treat Jared, you really do have an affection for him. He really is a friend. You know, don't say bad things about him. You don't, you know, you don't, you you go out of your way not to offend him. Well, you know, he's my brother. He's, you know, he's God's son. I'm going to treat God's son well because I love God. You know, and um, and I think that you know, maybe it's something we all can work on that the way I'm supposed to love one another." reflects how I would love God, you know, if, uh, you know, if, if, you know, and and like I said, I I realize I'm just repeating the same point, but it's such a profound idea really is that I'm really going to reflect this. And I, like I said, I, and I think one of the reasons I want to keep repeating it is I think a lot of times we're not good at that. We're not uh, as good as we could be. I, I wonder, I wonder how many of us
0: love our brethren in Christ the way the Samaritan loved the man who was taken by the robbers. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, if you got any doubt that Brian loves me and loves you guys, he was not supposed to be here today. He was, he was eating cereal in his pajamas. Wendy's out of town, you know, had some, had some Bible studies he was going to do later in the afternoon. And I said, Hey, Brian, something happened technologically with zoom. It didn't record. It said it was recording and it didn't. And it's not the first time that that's happened. You know, Brian's like, I'll be over. And then he called, he texts me back. He's like, okay, I can't be there when I said I was going to be there because I got a Bible study, but I am going to be there. And sure enough, he knocks on my door, four o'clock, he comes in, we start re- We start recording this after we get the YouTube upload done for the Biblically Speaking tonight. He actually sat in my house for what hour and a half while we were trying to get that finished, talking through this program. I mean, this is not anything that we had scripted. We thought we had two and a half weeks to get this together, but because I had put this out there and my reputation was on the line. He's like, sure, I'll, I'll be over there now. I am feeding him. So. Yeah, I was
1: looking forward to that. That's all I came for. Actually, <laughs> frankly, <laughs> talk about ice cream and brisket, all these things. Well, it's not brisket tonight. I think yeah. it's, it's fajitas. Uh, chicken fajitas. So. Chicken fajitas. Now, brisket yeah. next time.
0: Brisket yeah, next yeah. time. Right, so we'll, right. we'll smoke a brisket. We'll have to get the smell of vision going. Boy, that'll shoot up the YouTube view. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll tell you what, <laughs> like, you get that going. You can smell brisket, but but, because we need to kind of bring this to an end, let let's talk about what you were just saying there about the the real application of love, and 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 what I just said about the Samaritan. And this is something I'm going to have you on for to talk about in the future, but I, I want to start teasing that now. And that's Romans 14. Right, right. Um, in the middle of COVID, I think Romans 14 has been one of those passages that we've struggled to sort of keep in our mind the right way. Yeah. Um, that. And this is something that I talk about regularly on this channel, that that I'm not saying the things of life are unimportant, but but so often the, the bonds of unity are strained by who wins an election or or the rhetoric that happens after an election or or mask wearing or vaccinations or all of those things. And if there's ever been a time in my life where Romans 14 has made sense. The last two years, year and a half, have really been kind of a primer on Romans 14 on accept one another, accept the weakness of others. And instead, oftentimes what you hear when we see weakness in our brethren and what we perceive as weakness is often matters of opinion. You know, Mm -hmm. that one one person is screaming, you don't love your brother because you don't do X. And the other one's saying, well, you don't have any faith because you do X. Mm -hmm. And. And then, the, you know, words start flying. And my favorite one, and I say favorite in, in the worst possible sense of that word, is sheeple. Oh, I hate that oh, term, too. Oh, you're,
1: I you're hate just it a bunch it, of sheeple. And ironically, it, it's so terrible because we are to be sheep. You know, like I said, it, it, the, the worst thing is, is you. It, the word of God says time and time again, we are to be sheep. And I mean, uh, the chief shepherd's going to that's right, That's right. And, and his sheep knew his voice. So if we're not sheep, you know, we're yeah. not going to know his voice. So And, and this yeah, whole idea of being term, this yeah. independent thinker
0: of, yeah. of I can... And what we're really saying when we do that, and we're not going to read Romans 14 tonight because that's another program. I need yeah. you guys to come back. Yeah. But but what we're really saying when we, when we say things like that is I stand apart from you, that yeah. there's a division between yeah. you and I. And if you're a sheep and I'm a sheep,
1: then those things shouldn't matter. Right. You think of a good Samaritan, again, going back to that story, you know, what's the what's the division between the Samaritans and the Jews, you know? And yeah. yet, yet, in that mm-hmm. moment, that division is meaningless. You know, you look at Jesus' apostles, you have a zealot, you have a tax collector, natural enemies, and yeah. yet they're supposed to be able to work together. Well, it's, you've got the apostle
0: Paul, and he's, I mean, he's literally working, he stays in Philip's house, and Philip was a friend of Stephen who Paul made sure the yeah, stoning yeah, of Stephen yeah, occurred. Yeah. So you've got, yeah, I mean, you've this imitation of the love of God. I had like fifteen thoughts going through yeah. my head one time.
1: It's like, bing. Yeah, but but, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, right now we see a manifestation where people are allowing divisiveness in the world to bleed into us. Now, what you said a moment ago is really important. Because you mentioned the idea of the love of the world. Well, that's what it is that's bleeding into us. The love of the world. Absolutely. Uh, You know, the things of the world. You can't be, you know, James 4, you can't be friends with the world and friends with God. Mm -hmm. Well, the idea that I'm allowing worldly divisions to divide me from my brethren. You know, Mm -hmm. you're, you're not with my politics. You're not with my view on xyz that's not a member of uh vaccinated mask wear yeah yeah you we know, just like, get it all in one thing just that's that's just, right that's right just you know right there in the nose with that's the right syringes just, and put the mask on yeah that's exactly it i mean the whole point is is that 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 divisiveness is worldly yeah and we're taking it in we're loving it you know we're loving the world and not loving one another and you can kind of see how you can't love both because if i love the world i'm going to necessarily have a barrier against against you Mm, I'm pointing you particularly, I mean, you. Well, I mean,
0: I mean, you, you're kind of jealous that I'm younger. Than you. <laughs> jealous you got hair. That's it. Huh? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of gray. I mean, yeah, I wish it's I had not, gray it's hair. Not kind of
1: gray. You, you know, what the Bible says about you know gray hair being a crown of wisdom. You know, I'm, I'm hopeless. About, well, I can't make fun of Brian for not having any any hair because bears actually do live in this
0: area. That's right. That's right. And
1: I tell you what, I uh, I'm ready to summon. Some of the bears. The Call in the bears. Call in the bears. I'm going to get a t-shirt made. Call in the bears. I can make it. Call yeah, the you. Yeah, yeah, there you I'm go. Yeah, I'm arrow point out.
0: But but what what you just said, it, it, I think we think sometimes that the love of the world is is being jealous of the guy that's got the bigger RV than we do, or maybe has the RV and we don't. Yeah, yeah. That's not really the love of the world. That that I mean that's part of it, but it, it's the lust of the eye. It's the lust of the flesh. Part of the lust of the flesh is just wanting to hang on to it. What, yeah. Wanting to live life. I mean. Yeah. Uh, one one of the the one of the people that is the most special to me in my whole life just passed away yesterday. is a, a preacher by the name of D. Bowman. Most of you in the audience probably know him, and he was famous for reminding people at the end of of it wasn't every sermon, but a good many of them that mm-hmm. if you miss heaven, you've just missed all there is. And what he was trying to do was elevate their attention to better things and and get it off of the world. And yet, right now we have so many things because they're not this av- avarice you know, avaricious kind of, of want. you know, I want a bigger house. I want a bigger, I want an RV. I want my kid to, to have all the best toys, better than all the other neighborhood kids and and those things, because it's not that we think it's okay. Yeah. And it's really not that it shouldn't be divisive. And, and we should continue to reflect the love of God toward our brethren. Well, we were going to go about 45 minutes and you put the two videos together. I think we're about 55 minutes right now. So I'll have to cut it down a little bit. Yeah there's a little bit of plain audio we can cut out. So, yeah, yeah. but uh, I think this was good first outing. Yeah, it's okay. It's fair. Yeah, fair. fair. Uh, I mean, yeah. fair. you're hearing okay?
1: <laughs> you, you got any closing? Let's, re- let's wrestle right now. Come on, I'll show you. I'll no, show you can you. call in bears. I'm not <laughs> wrestling with you. So you got any closing thoughts for us? Uh, I don't, other than um, I can't think of something more important to study than the idea of the love of God. Uh, you know, if I always tell people, you know, you want to go to heaven? It's about loving God. And you know that that's not a simple thing that's actually a, a very entrenched thing but you have to genuinely love god that means you really have to seek him out you have to have that josiah heart um and god says you love me you're going to love my people and loving his people um you know it's not it's not a natural thing you know this is where the natural man fails and only the spiritual man succeeds to to be able to love means to turn your back on that natural man yeah
0: I love it, brother. And I love you. I appreciate you coming and, and doing this with me on short notice and and uh let's sorry. go eat. Sorry for all the old jokes. Yeah, let's go eat. So from all of us here, and you know, it's Brian and I for right now, and you know, we're all on this same journey together. And I want to thank you for the time that you took to be here. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button at the bottom and you'll get all of our content. It's absolutely imperative that you do that hit that, no, I'm kidding, but it is, I'd appreciate it. But hit that notification bell and you'll get the notifications. And please like and share this content, not because I wanna be recognized for this or I want Brian's face out there even more, but because this is how we, in today's day and age, this is how we share the gospel with people, It's conversations just like this. You and I are on a journey and we're gonna do it again in just two weeks. Together, we're gonna join up and continue our journey into the word. Thank you for being here. Have a good night. Got this.